we're so thankful for all the things that you've done for us, but the greatest thing of all is that you sent your son. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death we should have died. He stayed in a tomb for a few days, but then you brought him back to life, and he is alive forevermore. How thankful we are for that truth. Would you teach us now from your word how that truth changes our reality? In Jesus' good name we pray, amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your Bible and open with me, or if you have a smart device, your phone, tablet, whatever means you use, and let's look in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to spend a few moments this morning thinking about a question, a very simple question. Easter, the resurrection, is it too good to be true? Now, have you ever received news that you thought had to be too good to be true? Or maybe you've seen a commercial if you got insomnia and late at night you're watching this show that's going to give you all these free things and they've got this real fine print at the bottom. If that's ever been your experience, there's a little pro tip, always read the fine print uh, because there's a couple of things that maybe it's not so good. Have you ever really gotten some, some good news that you thought was just really too good to be true? Just as it's so happens this week, I myself got some news via email that I thought was really too good to be true. Do y'all know that there are several princes and princesses who owe me money? <laughs> I had no idea. And normally the thing about me, uh, well, a lot of things about me, but one of them is that normally if it goes to my spam folder, I'll click that and I'll just erase that and we'll be done with that. Like what a telemarketer calls, if, if I don't recognize the number, I won't answer it. Sometimes if I recognize the number, I won't answer it. But uh, if I don't recognize the number, I won't answer it. But sometimes if I've got a couple of minutes to spare, since I only work two days a week as a pastor, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll play along. I'll answer the call or I will respond to the email. Let me just, I just want to read to you this good news that I got this week and, and just the conversation that we had. Uh, this, this, this just came to my inbox and, and this is what uh, uh, this person said. It is totally against the ethics and civil service code of conduct in accordance with the oath of secrecy for me to do this But I wish to do this on personal capacity, believing you will not betray me, but will surely come back to reward me for our sincerity, honesty, and for our great effort made to secure a successful conclusion of this transaction in your favor. (laughs) Please confirm if truly the bank has communicated you regarding payment of your overdue fund. However, I wish to inform you that another lawyer has presented a woman submitting her name, claiming that you were deaf and to be your next of kin. Her details and banking particular was among the list certified for payments. See below and confirm for the account she submitted for transfer to your fund value. Give some information. I have inquired deeper to come to the conclusion that she and few powerful individuals are behind this dastardly act without due notices to you. 
As it stands now, you will certainly encounter enormous problems to convince the internal remittance department that you have not been served with required number of direct notices. You are therefore advised to submit your approval as the bank will certainly not be held responsible for paying into a wrong account. It will serve you well if you would quickly get back to me so that I can reissue insaturation for re-verification of your payment file towards online transfer of your fund into the account. At this point, I took a couple of Tylenol and I kept on reading. Please, I need to hear from you before the transfer take place to confirm if you are deaf for real or they are trying to remove you from the inheritance approved funds. I replied back. <laughs> oh dear, I am not deaf for real. So I guess they are trying to remove from the inheritance approved funds. Whatever shall we do? <laughs> he replied back. <laughs> Hello, Jonathan Russell. Thanks for letting me know that you are much alive and ready to receive your funds. Please, before I proceed further, we'll like you to forward to me the below information to confirm if you are the real person for the release transfer of the funds. Kindly send below your information. Your full name, full address, contact telephone number, occupation, full age, scanned a copy of your passport. I'll wait to receive the above needed information for the confirmation of the bank. I replied. <laughs> the bank would like to have a three-way call with me and you to discuss this matter further so I can provide the needed documents and information. What is a good time to contact you? He replied. Hello, Jonathan Russell. This is 4 p.m. here. I will close work at 5 p.m. I will be home at 5.30 p.m. Call to me by 6 p.m. Await your prompt response. I replied. I promise this is the end. <laughs> Great. We will likely be joined by agents with the federal government's Internal Revenue Service, as well as personnel from Interpol who specialize in Internet scams. Should you, sir, decide not to answer your phone, know that you have shared enough emails. I have no idea if this is true. Know <laughs> if you have shared enough emails for the data analysis team to work through the email pings and narrow your location. I look forward to seeing you soon. He didn't reply. <laughs> Still waiting to hear back from him. But if I resign next week because I got a lot of money, now you know why. You ever gotten news like that, and you probably don't play along with them, but I figure why not sometimes. Uh, news that just seems way too good to be true. Some things, when you hear them, they sound too good to be true. Jesus had been killed. 
He had been cruelly crucified on the cross. He had been buried in a borrowed tomb. This was bad news that seemed too bad to be true. But the people at the cross had witnessed his execution and they knew it had to be true because they watched it from their very eyes. But something amazing happened. This Jesus who was killed came back to life. This Jesus who was killed was raised from the dead. This Jesus who was killed left the tomb. That sounds too good to be true. In fact, it stumped the people who were around Jesus when it all happened. Luke chapter 24 tells us, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day day rise and they remembered his words <clears throat> and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles and look at verse 11 but these words seemed to them an idle tale it seemed too good to be true, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he, Peter, went home marveling. He couldn't believe it. Too good to be true. Marveling at what <clears throat> had happened. There is a, a sense of wonder that permeates this text. These events on this Resurrection Sunday seemed too good to be true. The report that these women brought back to the disciples. The report that the tomb was empty. That a couple of angels angels shared with them that Jesus had risen seemed too good to be true. So good that Peter was marveling at what had happened. He was dazed. He was confused. He did not want to get his hopes up that what he hoped would be true is not true. So you see him in verse 12. He just stands outside the tomb. He refused to let himself entertain the thought that the resurrection might be true because he feared being so disappointed. It all seemed too good to be true. I have wonderful news for you this morning. Though the resurrection may seem too good to be true, it is true. 
Jesus died, he was buried, but the power of God raised him to life again. He is alive today, never to die again, and that changes everything. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes about the resurrection. He writes about the gospel, and he says that he delivered unto you as of first importance what he also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then he appeared. Dead men don't appear before other men. He appeared to Cephas, then he appeared appeared to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 of those brethren at the same time. He is alive. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy, and I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. Sounds too good to be true. Why? Glad you ask. I want to explain to you why, briefly, three reasons. Why this news sounds too good to be true. Why people would seem to have a hard time believing it. First is this. The resurrection seems too good to be true. Because the resurrection means that the death of Jesus was sufficient to forgive my sin. Do any of you live with sinners? Not a trick question. <laughs> any of you know a sinner? Let me give you a hint. If you have a mirror in your house and you won't buy it, you spotted a sinner. Now, Jesus came onto the scene and Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. But was that death sufficient to do the job? Here's why the resurrection is important. Here's why it seems too good to be true. The resurrection was verification from God the Father that he did indeed accept the sacrifice of Jesus his son as the payment for sin. If Jesus was not resurrected, there is no verification that Jesus has paid for our sin. But the resurrection was God's verification. Yes, I accept the death of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. The Apostle Paul used an Old Testament illustration to help us understand it. And the illustration he used was about a man named Abraham. Now Abraham was a man in the Old Testament who didn't know a lot about Jesus because Jesus was not on the scene. But he believed God. And Abraham's faith, the fact that he believed God, the scripture tells us that God counted that belief, that faith, to Abraham as righteousness. And Paul uses that example to teach us this important truth. He says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours only. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord 
who was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our <coughs> justification. When the Father raised Christ from the dead, that was a demonstration that the Father accepted the death of Jesus to forgive, to be the, the final sacrifice and powerful enough to forgive all of our sins. On the cross, it was the wrath of God that was directed at Jesus. When God raised him from the dead, it was the favor of God that was directed upon Jesus. Think about it like this, and we can't have an Easter at First Baptist without something to do with Walmart. <laughs> Think of it like a receipt. When you buy something at Walmart, they give you a receipt. And you hold on to that receipt so when the warden of Walmart is sitting there, they all have wardens, that's what they, they are, the people at, at the doors. When that warden of Walmart's there, you show them the receipt, and that receipt says, this is proof that the items in my cart are paid in full. The resurrection is proof that God accepted Jesus' death as the payment for our sins. You see, way back in Genesis chapter 3, God said that the soul that sins must die. And every single one of us in this room, every single person listening to this online today, we are people who are sinners. Sin, in essence, is us telling God, I want to do things my way. I know you've got a way, but God, I want to be in charge of my life. Every single person here has felt that, has lived that, has said that in some way, shape, form, or fashion to God. The cross was Jesus redeeming us from the curse that sin brought upon ourselves because sin has a payment. Sin has a penalty and that penalty must be paid. The cross was Jesus redeeming us from that curse. The resurrection is the receipt that shows us that the payment was accepted. And I'll tell you that changes things. Because in 1 Corinthians 15 Paul talks about the death of Jesus taking out the sting of death Paul said something weird in 1 Corinthians 15. He said that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. It brings us eternal judgment. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our living, risen Lord Jesus Christ. You see, death ushers us into eternal judgment. But when Jesus died, he took the sting into himself so that there's no judgment left in death for those who follow Jesus. Because of this resurrection, we can declare no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of of Christ in me. The resurrection declares that the death of Jesus is sufficient to redeem us from the penalty of our sins. Second, the resurrection, it just seems too good to be true because that resurrection means that we can experience a new life. 
sin put a curse over us, but it also released a curse into us. Now, I, if, if, if I have good news to share with you, which I do, for good news to be good, it has to be coupled with bad. So I need to tell you the bad news as well. Death is at work in us. Any of you don't get around quite as quickly as you used to? <laughs> Any of you need to pull out glasses, look at smaller screens? Death is at work in us. It shows up in even more serious ways. Addictions. Relationships that are damaged. Relationships that are ruined. Trouble and strife in families. Death is at work within us. The resurrection of Jesus, however, means that we have power to overcome that sin. I want to tell you something this morning, and I don't think that most of us, I don't believe we really grasp this because it would really change how we live if we did. But I want you to hear me and listen very closely. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's available to every person who has a relationship with Jesus. You hear me? The, the power that brought Jesus Back to life is the same power. God doesn't have one power for this and one power for that. It's all dynamos. It's all the same power. That power is available for us. Romans chapter 6, Paul asked the question, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order, look at that, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's a brand new. It's not just that Jesus changes your eternal destination. He changes your life right now. Jesus wants to have you in heaven forever, but Jesus wants heaven to be in you right now while you're on this earth. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But this, this new life, this newness in your life, it doesn't come from a resolve to do better or from actions that you do. It comes from the release of God's resurrection power in you. This means that certainly while Jesus is able to forgive give every sin he is also able to restore everything sin has ruined I want to give you a beautiful illustration of this her, her name is mentioned in chapter 24 it talks about a lady named Mary Magdalene verse 10 says now it was Mary Magdalene Joanna and Mary the mother of James they were going there that day. The first time we meet Mary Magdalene, she is a woman who is possessed 
by not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, but seven demons have possessed her when we first see her in Scripture. Mary Magdalene is someone that had a life that was a mess. No one would have thought that her life could be restored. No one would have thought that she could be redeemed. Imagine her life before Jesus. She's an outcast. She's forgotten. People have given up on her. But God. Because one day, Mary Magdalene met Jesus. And Jesus healed her, not just of her physical ailments. Jesus healed her of her spiritual disease. Jesus brought new life to her. And this woman is transformed so that now she is at the resurrection. In fact, guess who? The answer is Mary Magdalene. Guess who the first person that Jesus spoke with after his resurrection was? Guess who? Mary Magdalene. Good job. She's the first one that Jesus appears to and he speaks to. Talk about a transformed life. In fact, and I'm going to condense the story for time's sake because I know you've got a ham and oven and we'll get done. But when the first time Mary meets him after the resurrection, they're in a garden. And, and Mary meets him and Mary Magdalene thinks he's the gardener until he speaks her name. And when he says, Mary... Scripture says she immediately knew that it was Jesus who spoke to her. Oh, my friend, the voice that spoke Mary's name has the power to put back together that which sin has broken. Listen to that voice. Follow the person who speaks that voice. You too can begin a new creation. You can watch old things pass away. You can behold all things becoming new because the resurrection means that we can experience a brand new life. And number three, the resurrection just seems too good to be true because it means that one day sin's curse is going to be reversed. <laughs> when the Bible was written, farmers did not know how a crop would turn out. They didn't have the technology that we have to make sure that the seeds that they planted were healthy. They couldn't get a soil sample and send it to the University of Florida to get it tested. They didn't know if the weather would cooperate. The Almanac wasn't written by that time. They really didn't know how it was going to shake out. So what they would do is that when they would plant their crops, the first fruits would be the indication. If the first fruits of their planting resulted in small produce, they can pretty much guarantee that what's going to follow is going to be small. If the first fruit was large and sweet tasting and wonderful, it was a pretty good indication that what was going to follow. The first fruits dictated what would come after them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If in Christ 
we have hope in this life only. We are of all men most to be pitied. If this world is all there is, I don't want to be here today, to be honest with you. We should be most pitied if this world is all there is. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That fallen asleep is not some of you in church right now. That fallen asleep means dead. And Paul said Jesus is the first fruits of those who fall asleep. So Jesus died, he was resurrected, and he has brand new life. We who follow Jesus will die, but one day that curse is reversed. We are resurrected and we are with Jesus once again. You see, nothing feels as final as death. Some of you have dealt with that in these past weeks, months or this past year. Some of you may be afraid even today of your own death. Death feels so devastating to us. It feels so permanent, like you're losing things and people that you will never get back. In fact, you get a taste of that as you age. My body is not improving. I wake up sore from sleeping. <laughs> Just one day this week, no lie, I told you, I'm trying to be transparent. No lie, I was sitting in the office in my chair, I stretched, and I about had to call the hospital. <laughs> Put me on the ground. Our, our bodies are not getting better. Now look, you can use this vitamin, and you can take this essential oil, and you can swallow this herb in pill form and have at it. You can even nip it and you can tuck it and you can fill it and you can do whatever. If that's you, go for it. But I got news for you. You may feel better today, but at some point, everything you try to stay alive is going to fail because you cannot step, stop the process of death. But the resurrection shows us that if we are in Christ, that curse can only go so far, and one day that curse will actually be reversed. A day is coming when God will remove the curse of death entirely from our lives. He will undo every injustice. He will heal every hurt. He will wipe away every tear. He will make everything brand new. If there is no resurrection, this curse has the final word. But if there is a resurrection, if Jesus is indeed alive, the curse itself is cursed and one day will be removed. There's a lot worse things that can happen to followers of Jesus than death. Over the last several years, as we've been dealing with COVID and uncertainty and unknown unknowns and a political system that whether you're a donkey or an elephant, you don't know where you hit. Well, we know where the head is. It's not where it should be. And they can't get things figured out. And they can't get things worked out. 
And sometimes we wonder, where is this all headed? Where is my life headed? I can tell you, your life is headed to the grave, but your story does not have to end there. Death is still one for one. Every person who is born will one day die. But your story does not have to end in death. In fact, because of the empty tomb, my road doesn't end at a grave. In fact, it actually begins there for those who are in Christ. No wonder these words seemed like an idle tale. No wonder they seemed like foolishness. No wonder people thought this is too good to be true. A living Savior changes everything for our good. It sounds too good to be true, not because it is too good to be true. The reason it sounds too good to be true is because this one little word we call grace. Grace means that Jesus sees you in your sin, and he loves you anyway. Grace means that there's nothing in your hand that you bring to God. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Do you have a relationship with this risen Savior? I don't, I'd ask you if you went to church. I'd ask you if you had a relationship with this living Savior. If you say a preacher always have, that's the wrong answer. Because you came into this world with a broken relationship with that God. No one had to teach you how to sin. You knew how to do it instinctively. Because we're sinners. And as great as our sin is, I want you to know today the grace of God is greater. If there's never been a time in your life when you've placed your faith in Jesus, this resurrected King, today would be a wonderful day to put your faith there. The way that you do that is simply by praying. There are no magic words that you say to God. There is no magic formula. In fact, I'm always hesitant to tell you a prayer to pray because I don't want you to repeat words that I say and think by the repetition of words it gets the deal done. It's the condition of your heart. So to have a relationship with Jesus this morning, it simply means that you come to God through prayer and you admit your sin to God. You might say something like, Lord, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated you and me. But Lord, I also believe that you sent your son to die for my sin. And I believe that what he did on the cross is sufficient to forgive me of my sin. So Lord, as I confess my sin to you, as I agree with you about what you've said about my sin, would you help me turn away from that sin as I put my trust in you? Will you be 
my Savior. Will you save me from my sin? For the Bible says that all those who call upon the Lord, he will in no wise cast out. You see, to do anything else other than that, to do anything based on what you do, takes away from what he did. You didn't come up from a grave. Jesus did. Leave the saving to Jesus. He does a much better job for it. I don't know what next step you need to take is, what that step is. But on your pew, you should see a decision, a next step card. There should be a card there, a, a, a cherry colored card. If someone's already picked those up, there are yellow cards in the pews in front of you. If there's a next step, if you look at that card, it talks about the next steps. It talks about the steps of, of asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, taking the next step of baptism, understanding what it means to be baptized or being a part of God's mission and ministry through First Baptist Church. In, in just a second, we're just going to have a, a moment in which we're silent before God. Not long, 30 seconds. But in those 30 seconds, if you need to pray and you need to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we want you to pray. And do that. Well, I'm not going to force you to. It's you and God. But if God has made it clear that's the step you need to take, take that step today because we are not guaranteed one step outside this building. Don't wait till tomorrow because we may not get here. Or maybe there's another place, another step you need to take. As we are silent before God for just this half minute, I just want you to do business with God. And after that, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. We're going to sing about how Jesus paid it all. And if there's questions you have about what it means to follow Jesus, then you can come ask, say, hey, I've got questions, and we'll get you someone right now this morning who can help answer those questions. Or maybe you're going to pray to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And if you do that, would you come down and share that with me? Because the Bible says... When you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the angels rejoice. And I just don't think it's fair that they get to rejoice and we don't in moments like that. We want to rejoice with them. This altar will be open for you to pray, to do whatever God's placing on your heart to do. Whatever God is leading you to do, simply say yes. Father, I thank you. As we set before you now, in these next 30 seconds, I thank you for what you'll do. Will you now, as we set silent before you, work in our hearts? Father, I pray and trust that you've worked in every heart in this room today. I know that you have spoken to every heart through your word. I now pray that we would respond to that. Whatever you're calling us to do, Father, I pray that we would say yes. In Jesus' name.